Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Michael Bratton of That SEC Podcast. And Mike, really appreciate you joining us, man, as always. How you doing this afternoon? Hey, doing great, John and Joe. Thanks for having me. And uh, yes, it was a whirlwind last week, so nice to, to be back home in Nashville. Yeah, I can totally understand that. And I know that there's a lot of things we're going to dive in with you about when it comes to not only Razorbacks, but also SEC football in general. But in particular, I want to bring up a quote that you had. Of course, at Media Days and talking with a lot of different people and doing interviews and even with Feinbaum and all that stuff, it's all going on. But you had a particular clip that really went viral, especially among Razorback fans. And I'm going to play that clip so everybody has some context. And I think it's going to cause quite the reaction. Take a listen. In the West. Okay. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that better coaching staff, better quarterback, better offensive line. Jimbo Fisher gets touted as this quarterback guru. The last quarterback he had that he coached up was Jameis Winston. That was nearly a decade ago. And I loved what Kellen Mond did, but he had three years with him, and he never got any better. I thought he was better as a sophomore than he was a senior. I don't care what the, the record was during the COVID year. We need to stop pointing to the COVID year, saying we went 9-1, and one. it's every other year that seems to be the norm there in College Station, losing four games. I'm not saying a and is going to lose four games again, but you stack them up against Arkansas. I like, again, Arkansas coordinators are better, the quarterback's better, the offensive line's better. I think Sam Pittman's a better coach than Jimbo Fisher. Okay, now, Mike, explain yourself, as they say, because A&M fans, you talk more about A&M in that clip and, and comparing them, but – to say all those things about AM and then adding into the fact that Arkansas may have it all better than AM, how do you explain that? Well, first of all, that sounded like a handsome man on that, uh, that you played that clip. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I'm just blown away how many people have AM as just the assumed number two team in the West. And, I mean, I guess I get it in some regard. They just signed this historic recruiting class, but typically those guys don't come in first year ready to dominate the SEC or anything. So a uh, little baffled by all that. I, I, I mean, I stand by everything I said. I've torched the uh, A&M fan base there. They, they hate me now. They used to love me. But I'm just telling just trying to be as honest as I can. I think I think Arkansas is better at a lot of key positions. Now, I do think Texas A&M's got a better overall rest, uh, roster, and that is very important. And that could lead to A&M being better than Arkansas this fall. But I just – I've not seen it from Jimbo and this coaching staff. And, and you know, they lost Mike Elko, defensive coordinator. That defense has been carrying that program for three years now. And uh, they they had they had a DJ Durkin, who I think is a good coordinator. He did a heck of a job there at Ole Miss last year. But I think that's a major downgrade going from Mike Elko to, to DJ Durkin. So uh, I just think there's a lot to like about Arkansas when you're talking head-to-head with Texas A&M. Is it a lot about the experience that Arkansas has and what they're returning compared to what Texas A&M is doing? Because they're, uh, especially at the quarterback position, they're going to be different. But they're replacing a lot of talent, and we're kind of used to seeing that. Whereas with Arkansas, you got, you're replacing Traylon Burks as far as the receiver position, but you do have a lot returning. Yeah, well, I mean, how many years ago are we going to say Texas a and is a quarterback away from competing? Uh, yet they got this coach they're paying $100 million. That, that's supposedly his reputation. That's what he does. He develops his quarterbacks. But like I said in the clip, I mean, he's not done it. So why why we keep giving him you know, credit as this great quarterback developer? Right? Exiting the spring, 
I think they're further away from a, a decision at quarterback in College Station than they were going into spring. So what's that say about uh, their real, uh, ability to, to coach up a quarterback? And I, and I really like Max Johnson. I think he's really underrated. I think he was put in a bad situation at LSU. That'd be my guy from Texas A&M. Everyone down there loves this Haynes King. He came in and threw three interceptions against, I think it was Kent State, and then he got hurt and he never played again, yet he's uh, the next Johnny Manziel. So I, I hope he is for their sake, but uh, I just haven't seen it. You know, you bring up quarterback gurus and coaches and everything, and I, and I agree with you as far as A&M goes, but in the SEC in general, obviously Alabama has something going on because they've had a few Heisman Trophy winners at the quarterback position or at least first-team All-SEC, All-American type players and just like every other position. And we know Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin – Last year had a good one with Matt Corral, but are there any other programs in the SEC that you look at as being like, okay, that they know how to develop a quarterback, that coaching staff knows what to do with the quarterback? Because it seems like there's a lot more uh, programs that are a quarterback away from being good than there are places that actually can develop quarterbacks pretty well. Yeah, I mean, two that stand out come to mind right away. Lane Kiffin, of course, down there at Ole Miss. Uh, he's got a strong track record. I mean, one year at Alabama, I know it's Alabama, they were loaded, but he took a guy that uh, was going to be a running back, and, and he developed a first-round receiver with Blake Sims at quarterback. So, I mean, his track record speaks for itself everywhere he's been. They, they produced that elite quarterback play. And then uh, Tennessee, my alma mater there, we got Josh Heifel now, and, and same deal with him. Just look at his track record. Basically, every quarterback he works with becomes all-conference and All-American, and, and I've sent a couple guys to the NFL, and he, it looks like he's doing it again with Hendon Hooker. So uh, Ole Miss and Tennessee, definitely those two programs, uh, some of the best in the SEC at developing these quarterbacks. We, we saw that uh, all SEC teams were released. How would you rank the quarterbacks after Bryce Young? <laughs> I know that's a hot button on this show, but uh, – let it be known. I mean, I, I have my ballot saved if anybody needs to see it. But I got K.J. Jefferson, number two, in the SEC. The only reason he's not number one, of course, because they got a reigning Heisman Trophy winner down there in Tuscaloosa. Bryce Young was just incredible. But, yeah, I mean, I was pretty stunned. I, I think I've put it out there. I've got Will Levis as, I think, the seventh best quarterback in the SEC. So I don't have no idea how he made the list. I did vote Hen and Hooker number three. Uh, I think you can make the case for KJ Jefferson or Hendon Hooker. You could, you know, you could slide those in interchangeable. But I still think KJ Jefferson, based on what I've seen from him, you know, I've been high on him for a year, and he validated that last year. So I think he's a tougher player. I think he's a better leader. He's my uh, number two quarterback in the SEC. You know, speaking of the whole quarterback coaching and guru and development, I think Arkansas, at least in the two years under Sam Pivot and Kendall Bryles, I mean, Felipe Franks had a really nice year in his one year, and we know what K.J. Jefferson did this past year. Uh, it, it, say if K.J. Jefferson has another really great year and one that maybe he even improves on from this past season, are people going to start looking at Kendall Bryles as being one of those type of high-end coordinators or coaches at quarterbacks that can develop those guys because it seems like he hasn't been able to be at one spot long enough to establish himself but do you think that a great year out of KJ would really showcase his ability not only take a head coaching job perhaps somewhere else but to also establish himself as being someone who can really coach up the quarterbacks yeah no doubt and I think I said it on your show before John I mean he's the last quarterback he's worked two years consecutively was was a guy RG, RG3 who won the Heisman Trophy so 
we got to go back that far for, for two consecutive years where Kendall's worked with the quarterback. And, and like you said, every, you know, he's moved around quite a bit, but everywhere he goes, he gets production out of these quarterbacks, and they have career years. And that happened with Felipe Franks, obviously happened with K.J. Jefferson, and that gives me a lot of hope that this year will be even better, even with uh, the great Traylon Burks off to the NFL. I think uh, K.J. Jefferson, it, you know, he's not going to surprise people there in Arkansas, but I think he's going to surprise people around the country that don't realize uh, what a talent he is. We, we know what we're getting from Arkansas as far as K.J. Jefferson, the running game, and uh, then receivers, of course. That's kind of a big question mark. What do you think of Arkansas' defense and what they've been able to do there as far as bringing Catalan back, bumper pull, and then have some additions like Drew Sanders, who's going to be big time coming over from Alabama? Yeah, and I keep hearing people from within that program just rave about Drew Sanders and his impact on this Arkansas defense. So cannot wait to see him suited up. I mean, he was star player for Alabama. You go back early last season, he was making big-time plays for the uh, reigning SEC champions. I think he's going to slide right in. And, um, you know, I don't, he, him and Bumper Pool, you can't do much better as a one-two at the linebacking floor. So excited to see that. The, the big question I got for Arkansas is that defensive line. Uh, but, heck, Barry Odom and that crew, I mean, they, they seem to scheme around any deficiencies they have. I love Jalen Catalan. You mentioned him. I think he's the best safety in the SEC. I like the fact that, uh, you know, they play a little bend but don't break style, a lot of soft zone. We know that's what they've been running, but they're making that transition so they can pressure more, so they get added more man-to-man corners. Very interested to see how that plays out and if it'll work out. Uh, again, I got faith in Barry Odom. I think he's the best uh, defensive coordinator in the SEC. So we'll have to see how he puts all these pieces together. But I think the defense is going to look a little different than it did last year there in Fayetteville. So the question becomes, Mike, you brought up defense and and the fact that, you know, the way that it's set in the SEC where Arkansas could have a really good defense. But, like, it it seems like in in the offensive side of things, you can have a system. And it doesn't really matter about how high-level players you have in that system. You can be effective. But defense, it seems like it's the opposite. It doesn't matter to the system. If you don't have high-end players, high-level talent, the defense is not going to translate. Do you kind of see that in the way of uh, the defense, especially in the SEC? Or do you feel like Barry Odom, for instance, is one of those coordinators that, even if he doesn't have the high-end NFL talent, can still put together a really effective defense? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough question. But, you know, I think that's why people get enamored with these uh, offensive skill players at running back and receiver because you could potentially have really bad offensive unit, But if you got Reggie Bush on your team, you know, you're not going to win every game, but but he's going to make star plays that maybe get you to that win. And defense is just all about team continuity, rushing to that ball. And, and I think he can overcome a little bit of that. But if you are deficient in a key aspect, maybe a, a corner, you're just going to get burned time and time and time again. That defense really has to work as a unit, and it has to do it all season long. You slip up one play, you, you allow an 80-yard touchdown. And – you know, that's just not the way it is on offense. It's more of a, like I said, it goes back to, to star power and skill, whereas on the defensive side of the ball, it's, it's a team. They've got to be working together, and you have to limit mistakes. So uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but Barry Odom, he sure as heck knows how to get those guys working in the same direction, uh, at least based on what we've seen two years there at Arkansas. Mike, we talked about your ballot from the Arkansas standpoint as far as 
having them number two and having A&M three. But something else that's really interesting about your ballot, when you look at the East, you have Florida at two and then Kentucky at five. So uh, how, how did you go about ranking that ballot overall? But in the East, that's that's pretty intriguing from the way it shook out and how most people see it happening. Man, if you guys think A&M fans are mad at me for these comments, you should see what these Kentucky people are saying. I mean, I have one of the coaches uh, from the staff tweet me. I had Matt Jones. I think most people in the SEC know who that is. Call me this biggest idiot in the SEC and all this. But, hey, I think two through five in the East is going to be very, very competitive. But why I've got Kentucky so low, they play at Florida. They play at Tennessee. They host Georgia. They're going to be underdogs in all those games, and I think it's very conceivable they lose those games. Uh, they play at Ole Miss. Last time they played Ole Miss, they lost to them. They play Mississippi State. They lost to them last year. They do host South Carolina, and I think sometimes we all we get a little too where we look at the schedule and we say, well, where's that game played? Okay, it's in Lexington. That's a win. I think South Carolina is going to be one of the biggest, most improved teams in the SEC this year. I think South Carolina catches Kentucky in Lexington. So you start to see all these losses pile up. At least that's the way I see it breaking down. And as far as having Florida, number two, again, they host Kentucky. They do have to travel to Tennessee. But as a Tennessee grad, I can tell you, they've beaten Tennessee, I think it's 16 out of 17. So I don't care where that game's played. I give the edge to the Florida Gators over the Tennessee Vols until I see it differently. Uh, I think Florida's got a lot more talent than people realize. And they just got to clean up a lot of the issues when it comes to penalties, uh, undisciplined play. Uh, just, I mean, they were. This is two years removed from being in the SEC championship game. This is not a terrible roster, and I think Anthony Richardson, at quarterback, uh, I've got him as possibly the biggest breakout star in the SEC this fall. You know, you mentioned Florida. I think that's intriguing because they're a program that has had a hot, lot of high-level success, even in the coaches that weren't any good and they fired. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Will Muschamp had one good year. Uh, Jim McElwain won the East back-to-back years and got fired. Now, say what you want about Dan Mullen, but he had one good year. So it, it's like even in the coaches that don't have success, at least to their uh, expectation, they they still end up getting fired. But now you got Billy Napier. A lot of people were, were high on him, thought he would have been the LSU guy, but instead is going to Florida. Do you see him and the Florida program working out long-term where – he can be kind of that coach that possibly gets him to another national championship, similar to what Urban Meyer did and Steve Spurrier did and other guys too. Hey, you know, that's an interesting question. I mean, that's something we've been kind of debating all off season, but, um, you know, Florida is a weird job because they, not only do they expect championships, but it seems like they expect a fun brand of football too. So it's like, there's so many layers to it. And just what I know of Billy Napier, it's not exactly a fun, fun and gun style it's a pro style. It's pound the rock, play good defense. Uh, and, I, you know, I don't want to call him Will Muschamp because I think he's his, his resume as a head coach is vastly superior than, than Will Muschamp's. But it is interesting. I, you know, I think if, they, if he wins, they'll be happy. But how about this stat, John? 16-3, and three, that's Billy Napier's head coaching record in one-score game. So, I mean, that's pretty incredible, and it, and it gives you an indication of what a quality head coach he is winning these close games. I think Florida is going to be in a lot of one-score games this fall, and I think that uh, that record speaks to Billy Napier being able to manage his way to manufacture an upset here and there in the SEC this fall. 
So, Mike, we're going into the season talking about KJ being one of the top quarterbacks and playing well. But why is it that Will Levis and Anthony Richardson, they're getting so much love and so much praise projected to the NFL as as far as possibly being top ten picks? Well, Will Levis, because some guy that I never heard of wrote an article that said he's the number one pick. That's the main reason there, because beyond that, I mean, I talk to NFL people. They're saying this guy, you know, he's a quality prospect, but he's a round three prospect is, is what I'm hearing from people that would actually know. So I don't get the Will Levis hype. Again, I'm not trying to sit here and trash him, but he did have, I believe, 13 interceptions. He had a number of fumbles. He went six weeks last fall without completing a pass 20 yards down the field. Now, he may be the best quarterback in Kentucky history dating back to Tim Couch, but to be honest with you, that's not saying much. He's a quality player, but again, I've got him seventh in the SEC when it comes to quarterbacks, so I do, I do not get the hype there at all. When it's Anthony Richardson, I, I think that's a fair criticism. Again, I have him well below K.J. Jefferson, but from what we've seen of Anthony Richardson, I mean, my God, how can you not be impressed? I mean, he can throw the ball 80 yards. He's one of the fastest players. He's one of the biggest players. He just checks all the boxes you, you'd want in a quarterback. Now, we've just seen him in spot duty, and we've seen him against lesser competition, and he's dominated that lesser competition. Now it's on him to, to take that next step, and I think it's easy. I was talking to someone from Kentucky Sports Radio down at Media Days. They were asking me basically the same question. Why do I like Richardson better than Will Levis? And I, I have to admit, you know, sometimes when we've not seen these guys on the field, it's, it's hard to pick them apart, whereas we've seen Will Levis start for an entire season. So there's, there's kind of scabs to pick at, and I, I'll admit to that. But, uh, you know, based on what I've seen from Anthony Richardson, I mean, his ceiling is just incredible. Who do you think is going to be the player in the SEC, and it can be quarterback or whoever, that did not play in the SEC or did not play much yes, last year in the SEC that's going to be a huge impact player this year? Yeah, it could be Anthony Richardson, but um, there's one guy that I really like that Ole Miss added, and it's uh, Zach Evans running back from TCU who he, he had a very interesting recruitment. I believe he, he signed with Georgia, and then he backed out of that, and there was a whole saga with that, he, and he ended up going to TCU, and now he's Ole Miss running back. He's going to be their starter, and you know, Ole Miss, they're, they're an interesting squad. They're bringing guys in basically one year, then off to the NFL. So it's like a money year for basically that entire roster. I think Zach Evans, that's that's kind of the what people don't look at when they see Ole Miss. They see quarterbacks, they see receivers, but it's really rooted in the running game in Oxford. So I think Zach Evans is poised to have a huge year. I don't know how good Ole Miss is going to be, but I think they're going to score a lot of points this fall. Well, Mac, as always, man, we appreciate you coming on. Glad you could clarify your comments about uh, Sam Pittman and Jimbo. Got a lot of people fired up. But, hey, here's the thing. If Arkansas has a better year than Texas A&M does this year, which is possible, I think a lot of people are going to be looking back on that comment and saying, hey, that Mike Bratton guy knows what he's talking about. You know what I'm saying? I don't think anyone's going to do that, John. And I think (laughs) Old Takes Exposed has already got me saved, and he's ready for that game. You know what? Yeah. Well, hey, listen, we we won't know until we know, and we got a football season in front of us to have some fun with it. But as always, Mike, we appreciate you coming on, man. Have a great summer, all right? Absolutely. You guys too. Thanks for having me.